Escaping bombs and gunfire, Ukraine's athletes have made it safely to Beijing for the Winter Paralympics. And in order to preserve the integrity of these games and the safety of all participants, we have decided to refuse the athlete entries from RPC and NPC Belarus. To the para-athletes from the impacted countries, we are very sorry that you are affected by the decisions that your government took last week in breaching the Olympic truce. Welcome to Flame Bears, the woman athletes blazing the trail to Beijing. I'm your host, Jamie. In light of the Russian war in Ukraine, this special edition episode is a bit different than our normal episodes. In an effort to elevate Ukrainian voices and the connection between sports and politics, we speak with three elite Ukrainian athletes, Olena Kravitska, Valentina Molchanets, and Vita Oleksyon. We highlight the realities of the war in Ukraine and the messages they want the world to hear. I want, I must begin with a message of peace. As the leader of an organization with inclusion at its core, where diversity is celebrated and differences embraced, I am horrified at what is taking place in the world right now. The 21st century is a time for dialogue and diplomacy, not war and hate. The Olympic truce for peace during the Olympic and Paralympic Games is a UN resolution adopted by consensus by 193 member states at the 76th UN General Assembly. It must be respected and observed, not violated. At the IPC, we aspire to a better and more inclusive world, free from discrimination, free from hate, free from ignorance, and free from conflict. Coming off the heels of the 2022 Beijing Olympic Games, the Paralympics began on March 4th, eight days after Russia invaded Ukraine. Russia's invasion of Ukraine began February 24th. The 20 athletes from Ukraine arrived safely in Beijing just a few days before this opening ceremony. The entire Paralympic Games were happening with war front and center for Ukrainian athletes. I can say that this is a miracle. It is really incredible that we managed to make it here to the Paralympic Games because every single day we were faced with the choice and the question whether we will be able to bring the team together Will we be able to bring everybody on this plane that will take off from Europe and bring us to Beijing? And this question remained open until the very end. I can be honest with you. Some athletes were receiving news of their communities being destroyed or family members being killed or injured while they were competing. Despite the tragic circumstances, or perhaps fueled by them, Ukrainian athletes recorded their best ever finish at the Winter Paralympic Games with 29 total medals, 11 gold, 10 silver, and 8 bronze, 
they placed in second in the overall medal count. It's a Ukrainian sweep. Lukyanenko wins the gold, Kozik the silver, Sviarko the bronze. The victor, Vovchinsky from Ukraine. Well, you said it, it was the perfect race. No misses, skied beautifully, kept his composure, let the others do their race. He knew what he had to do and he did it to perfection. I had the honor of speaking with three different Ukrainian athletes, none of who were currently competing in Beijing, but were cheering on their country from afar. First, I spoke with Valentina Moltanyets and Vita Oleksyon about their experiences as Ukrainian athletes under the current circumstances. Now, while the vast majority of Ukrainians also speak Russian, since the invasion, it's become even more important to celebrate the Ukrainian language. So we spoke in Ukrainian with the help of a friend of a friend, Anna Seneca. I'm Vila Oleksiv, and I'm a Paralympic triathlete for Ukraine who competed in Tokyo this past summer. My name is Valentina Mavchanets, European champion in aquathlon, part of the National Ukrainian Paralympic Triathlon Team. Neither Valentina nor Vita's events took place in Beijing, as triathlon is a summer sport. So they've been training in Turkey. Valentina is a European champion aquathon, and Vita is currently fifth in world paratriathlon rankings. She came in 10th in Tokyo this past summer. Being stuck in Turkey, separated from their families in Ukraine, has been particularly painful. Both of their families are in war zone hotspots, which has been absolutely terrifying, especially as some seek shelter and some have taken up arms to help fight for their country. One of my brothers voluntarily joined the army to protect the city. My other brother is blind and cannot fight in combat. My male side of the family has also joined the forces. Not only are they away from their families, but communication is also extremely difficult because of power outages or the need to seek refuge from the bombs in Ukraine. When it comes to sport, Russia and Ukraine have historically managed to keep the focus on sport, not politics. But that's just no longer the case. Everyone has long been aware of the conflicts between us, but we had never tried to drag sports into this and have always tried to have positive relationships with the Russian athletes. But now, not all, but many of the Russian athletes have started to treat us just like their president does. Ukrainian athletes have been experiencing very serious hostility from certain Russian athletes. And this is due to the fact that what Ukraine and most of the world is hearing compared to Russians are hearing are two completely different stories. Um, 
what is the most hurtful right now is that um, right now, as they're in Turkey, stuck away from their families, um, Russian athletes are quite literally giving them death threats over messages because they're posting and being public about what's happening in their country and Russian athletes are not having it and are speaking out about it and, again, giving them death threats. On March 3rd, the day before the 2022 Paralympic Games were set to start, International Olympic Committee leadership banned Russian athletes from competing. As Vita and Valentina just described, politics and sport are interconnected, whether we like it or not. First thing is that also right now and in general, you can't really separate politics from sports and it's always connected. It's always going to be... And economics. And uh, yeah, and economics as well, because there is such an economic influence in sportsmanship. Um, So right now there's no division between the two. Now we have a struggle for living in our country and I don't want to leave my country, but... I don't know how. No, I stay here as long as possible. This is Elena Kravitska, Olympic fencer, Team Ukraine. She's participated in three Olympic Games, most recently being this past summer's Tokyo Games. I don't think someone can expect or could expect this uh, like nowadays in 2022. It's like a nightmare. For everyone, I think. Olena is currently in Ukraine. She's in the suburbs of Kyiv and is really torn between staying and leaving for safety. On the 24th, my husband uh, woke me up early in the morning and uh, with the words that the war has, has started and uh, bombs were maybe a few kilometers away from our house. In general, uh, it's always like very silent place. And it's six, six o'clock, it was like with uh, explosions. I have never experienced the war actions. So I don't know how to react and what am I to do like in this situation. I understand that uh, today I feel safe and at the moment uh, the bomb can come to our home. I'm afraid of this. What does this mean for your career as a professional Ukrainian athlete? Like, you woke up one day and there was a war, but you've dedicated your life to sport. So what does that mean for you now? It means that uh, sport goes not for first place <laughs> now, because now we have like a struggle for living in our country and my plan for this year was that I will uh, give a birth to my baby like in a few months and I wanted to come back maybe in September and to start again my preparation and to, to have a few few years of fencing in my life because I think that I do have uh, some goals that are not reached for today and I feel power in myself inside so I can do it. But now I don't know what I will do. So we'll see. Even the building in which Olena trains 
was destroyed. They destroyed a lot of uh, big cities. I can only imagine how many years it will take to rebuild a sport uh, like fencing hall that we had in Kharkiv have been destroyed like a few days ago. While she realizes that now is perhaps not the time to put sport first, she's hopeful that her sporting career will once again have a bright future, as she still has goals she's hoping to achieve, one of which is earning an Olympic medal. I have only three bronze medals from world championships, but I'd like to upgrade to have an Olympic gold medal. Give me one more chance. Elena, a lot of people say that there's no place for politics in sport. What's your reaction to that? Uh, you know, every time we uh, we say about that sport is out of politics, but uh, actually it's not. Because even now, when a lot of high-level sportsmen say that they support their uh, Russian president with this operation, is not out of politics. But is uh, not out of politics. Or when they go, their suit, so it's not uh, sport out of politics. Elena, what do you want people outside Ukraine to know? And what can we do to support your country? A lot of people go to main squares in their cities and support Ukrainians and this very, uh, uh, we appreciate this very much. I'll tell you one, the two things that have been in the news here in Ukraine, which make us, both of them make us very proud. Now, number one, the Ukrainian team in the Paralympic Games, they did incredibly well. This is Yuri Sok, Ukrainian Ministry of Defense Communications. He's here with more context on what the people of Ukraine are experiencing on both ends of the emotional spectrum. They came second after China. To be honest, it's even difficult to, like, for me to speak about this, but I'm, I'm convinced that every time those athletes, they went into the competition, I'm sure they felt like they wanted to do something for their country. And we live in times when it is extremely difficult to be positive about anything. Because if you consider how much bad news we consume on a daily basis, this is not human this is not normal for a human mind you know a couple of times a day i have to explain to my little daughter you know what is a bomb she's asking me why are they throwing bombs at us you don't want to lie to your child but on the other hand you kind of want to find that right balance how not to traumatize your children to an extent where it will be irreversible in the future you know uh, so Beijing and the victory of Ukrainian Paralympic team is uh, news number one, which kind of make us proud. The second news, I, I just read it literally about 15, 20 minutes before we started our conversation. A famous Ukrainian biathlonist, right? So the, the, the guys who like uh, go on skis and shoot uh, on targets, yeah. She joined Ukrainian armed forces and she went to fight. It's, it's a lady and she will be fighting for Ukraine. So she will be using directly her skills to defeat the enemy. After hearing the experiences the athletes had shared, I wanted to gain more context on the war. So I spoke with Dr. Emily Channel Justice, 
director of the Temerte Contemporary Ukraine Program, Ukrainian Research Institute, Harvard University. The story from the Ukrainian perspective is we never wanted to be invaded. You know, Ukraine's democracy wasn't perfect ever. But in the view of most people, it was a stronger democracy. So that's really important. So in that sense, you know, Ukraine has made its decision and Russia is basically saying, no, you can't. You have to be this way. They're treating this as an imperial aggression, as an imperial kind of invasion. So in that in that sense, nobody is interested in being taken over by force. And I think it's so important to say that because of this aggression, any potential good or brotherly feeling between Russia and Ukraine from the Ukrainian side has now dissipated. So basically, the Russian media is is claiming that Ukrainians committed genocide in eastern Ukraine against the civilians of, of the regions of Donetsk and Luhansk, which were the occupied territories that were already engaged in a war. That's just completely false. There's no evidence for that. And they were also claiming that Ukraine had been taken over by Nazis, which is also quite ironic because the president is Jewish. And there's a very complicated relationship with Ukraine and the far right. And the previous president did have some relationship with far right figures that were in his government, right? That is true. And that's something that should be debated in a much longer conversation. But the current president severed those ties. So Ukraine is much further from having any Nazis in government than it probably ever has been before. So basically, the Kremlin propaganda narrative has been working toward justifying this because of this alleged Nazi government and this alleged genocide in the eastern regions that had been occupied for the last eight years. Now, now, you know, they've been the Russian army has been dropping bombs on civilians across Ukraine, including in previously kind of Russia friendly regions. So you know, it's total lunacy. It's completely detached from reality. But that's the narrative. Yuri couldn't agree more. It's very black and white. It's very clear. It's very obvious who is the evil. And it's very obvious who's fighting for their land, for their mothers, for their children. This whole tragedy brought us all together in a way that we never thought was possible. Because we have been a divided nation, I must admit. And we did have different opinions about different things. But now, we all act as one, we think as one. Our moral compass is aligned. We share the same values. We are driven by by the same goal. And we will defeat the enemy. And we will win this war. And we will rebuild Ukraine. And Ukraine will be a country where for decades, people will be traveling to Ukraine to see what it is to be a nation of heroes what it takes for a nation in 2022. The next uh, Marvel superheroes will be all Ukrainian soldiers because these guys are doing miracles. They are doing literally miracles. My uh, plea to all your international listeners is if you can try to participate in this network of support for Ukrainian refugees, it is very important. What do you want the international community to know that we may not see or hear? And what can we do to be more supportive? Thank you. 
They're proud to be Ukrainian overall because this is not the first conflict Ukraine has faced. It's faced a lot in the past, in its entire history. And every single time Ukrainians as a people have united and overcome everything that came their way. And they hope that it will be just the same this time around. Постраждає не одна, дві чи три держави, а постраждає весь світ. Ukraine right now is not fighting to gain any more ground. We are fighting to protect our home. And right now, it feels like someone has entered our home with a gun to our heads, telling us to kneel and live our lives in the way they want us to. The people of Ukraine ask you to pray right now for freedom, and we will do just about anything to defend our country. І, ну, якщо в когось є можливість допомагати таким людям, то ми б просили, щоб допомагали. Україна буде потрібна допомогу для років наступних. Не тільки економічно, але й соціально. Світ буде допомагати нам, навіть якщо війна триває Olena, Vita, Valentina, thank you for sharing your stories during this horrible time. I cannot imagine what this is like for you, and we so appreciate your trust. To the Ukrainian triathlon coach, Roman, thank you for making this possible. To our listeners, if you want to take action to support Ukraine, but don't know how to exactly, I've dropped in multiple calls to action in the episode description. Raising awareness is step one. Now actually doing something is step two. Thank you to Dr. Channel Justice for providing these helpful action items for us all. If you like what you're hearing, please let us know. It's really helpful to hear from you. If you missed last week's episode with the fastest Romanian speed skater, Mihaela Hogas, go back and give it a listen. Stay tuned for next week's episode with Nigerian Manabob athlete, Simi Adiagbo. This episode in particular was a true team effort. Thank you to high school friend, Sasha Kamenetska, for working with your family and friends to help us find a Ukrainian translator. Thank you to Anna for making this episode possible in Ukrainian, which is so important. Thank you to classmate Ilya Timchenko, head of Ukraine Red Intelligence. Thank you to my classmate and friend, Grace Stone, for your English voiceover for Rita. Thank you to the Harvard Kennedy School's Women in Public Policy Program and the Harvard Innovation Lab for your ongoing support. Thank you to my amazing gal group within Stanford's Galvanizer Incubator Program. And last, but certainly not least, thank you to my mentors, Dino Catano, Emma Minto, and Steve Delano. Thank you for believing in me and this vision when it was just an idea. We'll catch you on our next episode.